0: Come on. Where's my music? Matt. Because we're the Houston Oilers, Houston Oilers, Houston Oilers, number one. Yes, we're the Houston Oilers, Houston Oilers, Houston
1: Oilers, number one. Hello everyone, you're listening to Ballard Radio, my name is Matt Weston and tonight one by, the one and only BFD. How's it going, man?
0: <laughs> I wonder if every so could they hear me yelling at you to get the, my music going. I don't know. If oh, they for sure. Hear that. Yeah. Oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I am doing fantastic today, Big Matt. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing pretty well. I took a nap at you know seven five, so I'm really ready for this one right now.
0: Dang, that's
1: hour and a half and a half mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting too good at it but uh there. did you know that frank reich is a very smart and beautiful and aggressive <laughs> and intelligent man
0: <laughs> i i finally got a chance to watch this game so a little bit of a back story because i just wanted to brag for a moment is is my son and i enjoy to dive enjoy diving we just haven't been able to do it a lot And we know some people who know some people. So, anyway, we were part of a volunteer thing to dive at Spring Lake, which most of you guys remember is Aquarina Springs. It now no longer has Ralph the Diving Pig. The glass bottom boats are still there. But it's now considered kind of a protected area, and they do a lot of research there. And so uh, my son and I are being trained to do kind of both um, diving in the lake to do archaeological work and cleanup work and that sort of thing. And so that's how I spent my Sunday this week is by doing this awesome training with uh, dive master Scott Cameron. So if you're in the hood, Scott Cameron's awesome and couldn't recommend him enough, and it's just really, really cool stuff to do. So I watched the game this afternoon, Big Matt,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I kind of saw like on Sunday when after we got done diving and I was kind of looking at the thread of the – because I didn't want to kind of give the game away. I knew he won. I was kind of looking at the hair of the dog thread that we had going, and I think it was you who said, this is a very stupid game. And after the game, and I'm sitting there kind of on the couch, like I just plied myself full of quesadillas and guacamole <laughs> at lunch, and I'm sitting there looking at the TV that the, the game is off, the TV's off, but I'm still looking at the TV going, "Man, that was a really stupid game."
1: <laughs> yeah. And the the worst part of it was it was 4 hours long. And like it just never ended. Both just kept going fa- back and forth and about being just like you know very stupid, and uh, each one never really wanted to win this game, and but kind of wanting to win the game at the same time. And it just it never ended at all. So I'm very yeah. So I mean, Sunday.
0: yeah, yeah. I think I had a better Sunday than people watching this game. Um, I, I, you know, we can talk about. I know it's a little bit down the list, but let, we can, let's go ahead and talk about Frank Wright, because that was such an important play call. Fourth and six from their own 43-yard line. The Colts decide to go for it. It doesn't work. And it allows the Texans to go back and kick the game-winning field goal. So let's just let's just give right to the chase, Matt. Were you, I'm stealing your words, were you, as the kids put it on the internet, here for it?
1: Yeah, I mean... I mean, the thing is, like, I can't be entirely, uh, like, a hypocrite. Like, I enjoy it when teams go for them in the fourth-down situations. So, like, I'm always going to like it when somebody goes for fourth-down instead of kicking the field goal or punting in this case. But the only problem I have with them going for it here in this situation was just that they didn't have timeouts really at all. And, like, even if they converted there with this, you know, on this fourth and six, would have the ball in midfield. I believe they had one timeout left, and they would still have had to pick up, you know, at least 15 yards because Terry is not a very good kicking ball, kicking field goals yards tall anymore. So it wasn't a for sure thing if they did convert that they were gonna win, but if they didn't convert it's first team. probably a for sure thing they were gonna lose, especially for missing two best corners, uh, the pass rush you know was super tired and walked in all day to throw, and DeAndre Hopkins was just getting open whenever he wanted to. So um, that's why I think that this second there was dumb, but yeah like I'm always here for it when the other team goes for on fourth down. Uh, But again, it it was a stupid play call and they should have punted it. And then even if they end up converting at that point, like they still should have punted it, you know? Yeah,
0: because if you don't, I mean, that's the thing that gets me. If you don't convert, you're one play away from the game-winning field goal. And so I I get playing for the win, but I'm not sure how they get the win in that situation. Uh, uh, I I guess – I kind of look at it, like, in another way, too, is there was no Eric Ebron on the field. there's no T.Y. Hilton on the field. So you're throwing out there to guys like Chester Rogers and Ryan Grant and Mo Alley-Cox, who committed the huge hole, of course, <laughs> on that drive, which set the Colts back 10 yards and put them in that horrible position. You know, it's not that these guys aren't household names. They clearly aren't, but they're also not great football players. And so yeah. – I think if you have your A team out there, I really can see. Okay, yeah, I can see going for it. But they didn't have their A team. They had, uh, they had a Washington Redskin cast-off. They had a guy that called up from the practice squad that week, and and uh, Chester Rogers. I, I just don't. I think with different personnel, I go for it. If that's if that, and they don't even didn't even have Marlon Mack. So, you know, they had a lot of injuries by that point in the game. They just had the, the, the C squad in. I, I guess I don't do it, and I realize because, that sounds like, you know, I'm being a hypocrite. I get it. But I think there's a, there's a context here that's important. So that's just yeah. my, my hot take.
1: Yeah, and I think we're agreeing on it, agreement on it. It's, you know, well, I think the personnel is part of that equation too. It's just the fact that, like, even they don't convert it, they're still far from ser- for, certain from winning at that point. I know before they went for it, they had like a 52.36% a chance of winning. And then after they didn't get that conversion, they had a 26% chance of winning. The Texans win probability all the way up to 74% after that decision was made. So uh, they're so far away from, from that point, even if they do get it then and there. Uh, yeah, it, it was really kind of perplexing. I thought the play calls was probably too, because when they came to the last scrimmage, I mean, Joseph wasn't playing seven yards off the, off the line of scrimmage. And so it's like they were running a play like they've been running the entire game where Joseph seven or eight yards off and they just throw a, uh, a quick comeback route. And in this situation, that throw wasn't there. Like Joseph was giving him an opportunity to make a play on the ball. The ball skipped over to, over to Rodgers. I know Nash Meister brought this up in a thread. He said that he that you know, J.J. Watt tipped up the line of scrimmage. I didn't see it. I haven't looked at all 22 yet at uh, but the ball did skip over to, it, so, over to Rodgers, so Josephine had a chance to make a play on it, even though he looked like he would have been in decent up position. Uh, did you see Wadka's hand on it at all whenever you went back and watched that game today?
0: I couldn't tell. I, I, I think that would be a case for the All-22 to, to really make that determination.
1: Yeah. And, yeah, I really I really didn't, didn't know that or see that. I just kind of felt like What had kind of tried to throw the ball really quickly and it kind of skittered over there. And also, like, let's arm isn't very good either. And so, like, if the best player coming up with is, you know, cornerback who's playing four yards off a of blind of scrimmage or the guy with a weak arm who's been, who just kind of struggles well the sideline right now, uh, that's just not even, like, a throw I would really even want him to make in that situation. Maybe, like, a slam would have be been better now. But this game was also just, like, really dumb too because of how both teams kind of switched switch uh, back and forth. And also, Houston especially in this first half, like for even in the beginning of the third quarter as well too, I think the big turning point in this game for the was that Deshaun Watts interception that Pierre Desaire had, at that point all he kind of reverted back to their old offense where things weren't kinda of working. And they only scored, you know, point that from that uh, point on after that interception, one you know, threw those points for those points coming in overtime. And in that first half, you know, we saw what they worked in two thousand seventeen. it was everything that, you know, I've been harping on the past three Watson as a runner. That power play that red zone was a great example. Uh, they ran an off play with QD. That was awesome. They ran the jet sweeps again. They ran play action off the jet sweep. They, they used that play action to go downfield. They used them a lot of rollouts as well, too. They were constantly changing up their snap counts and, and the release points, which helped, the pa- which helped mitigate the pass rush and help the offensive line out as well. And it looked like how the offense should have looked this entire time. And so uh, it was incredibly frustrating you know, like, it was great to finally see it, but it was also one of those moments where it was incredibly frustrating that this didn't happen sooner. Cause it, and it's also so unbelievably dumb that it happened sooner. Uh, so, BFT, what did you think about the offense in the first half? And I guess up to that kind of third quarter as well, too, when they did uh, put that last touchdown up. And also, were there any plays, like, in particular that you, like, super loved that O'Brien called that Houston ran?
0: Yeah, it was using uh, uh 5 in that jet sleep I think (laughs) that finally you know at at some point you actually had to hand the guy off on the jet sleep you have to keep the defense honest. you can't just keep running the jet sleep and nobody ever gets the ball and so when he actually gave up the ball I was pretty excited like okay we got a new thing working here so the first half I I think the offense looked like 2017 and I really think you nailed it I really think you do because once after that intercept interception happened all of a sudden, it became Deshaun Watson. We're going to plant his dadgum feet in concrete in the pocket, and we're not going to allow him to get outside the pocket, heaven forbid. And that's why the offense stalled so badly. I think it stalled so badly in the second half, is that we weren't getting Watson out in space. There were a couple of times where we had third and three type situations. would have been a perfect opportunity to move the pocket. That line struggled again. Get the pocket on the move, buy your quarterback some time, and we didn't do it. We kept Sean Watson in the quarterback or in the pocket and not allowing him to get out. And there were several times when, I mean, let's just be be honest. You know, Lambs getting beat wide, uh, Rankins getting beat wide, the pocket's collapsing, and it just allowed the Colts to rack up a bunch of sacks. And this is the type of quarterback you want to be able to move around and let him throw on the run where he is solidly accurate at worst right move him around Mm -hmm. let give him the opportunity to make plays with his legs and his arms in the same play and we did not do that at all in the second half Matt
1: yeah yeah I, I I think that was one of the things that was sort of helpful too was having you know QD healthy to be able to come in and replay and the thing is it wasn't that QD broke open this offense and that sort of thing They ran the same offense last year with Ellington as a slot receiver, ran the same play fakes, and it still works because defense have to account for those play fakes. The jet sweep doesn't have to be a a play that picks up, you know, nine yards, 12 yards or anything, a play for the play action to work. The jet sweep just needs to move defenders that it has to be accounted for. It has to be run, actually be meaningfully ran in order for the play action to work. And so I think just like them doing that, and then getting able to move defenses over the place and just running play action in general just really opened things up too, as well. And sure, it helps that QD actually can beat man coverage, you know, up in the middle of the field. And also, you yeah, have Wolf Fuller there too, who, you know, just kind of like impossible to cover one on one in man coverage, especially against the teams, you know, third and fourth uh, defensive backs, you know, made this offense just so much better. Uh, I know you brought up Lamb in the pass rush and the pressure. pressure. In this game, I thought the offensive line did, you know, a good job this week, especially considering the previous weeks. I thought Kendall Lamb actually, you know, did pretty well, and he played a lot better than Davenport did. But Davenport also didn't play in this situation where the Texans were actually ma- running an offense, you know, that made sense, uh, even a little bit. But that being said, the Texans still had, still gave up seven sacks in this game. Uh, so, what do you think about their pass blocking in this one? Was the sacks more indicative of, you know, the decision that O'Brien made to keep O'Bru- keep Watson in the pocket in the second half, or was there a lot of pressure, or is that same thing where Watson is scrambling to make plays happening, holding the ball again sacked by linebackers who are spot.
0: I think the answer to that question is yes. Because I think you could put you can point out a couple of times where it was uh, Watson being stuck in the pocket, where, again, to me, you've got such an athletic guy, a guy who makes good throws on the move, get him out of the pocket, for cranky's sake. I mean, this is how you help your offensive line, too. And it's this, this, this constant need for Bill O'Brien to ignore his player's best abilities. It's just so bothersome to me, and this is another case. But there were times when Watson was holding on to the ball too long. There were times when the offensive line was uh, not picking, one. in one case, not picking up a stunt well. So there were there were situations where you kind of you checked all those boxes out, with the good news being it wasn't like just, I guess, each problem was kind of on its own on an island, kind of. It added up to, I think, the Colts had, what, six sacks, five sacks on the game, which is not a good number. But the line, even with Kendall Lamb playing, which is depressing to say, they look better this game, Matt.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it was, you know, a combination of all three. Uh, you know, they kept – I think the Colts still did a good, pretty good job rushing the passer. you Watson made some great plays. He you had know, some sacks. Um, and also, you know, he just kind of holds on to the ball too long. And there are situations where, you know, nobody's open, nobody's open, and you don't want him to just give up on the play and throw out a bounce to him to try and make something happen. But in those situations, you know, the ball for seven or eight seconds and uh, nothing's mm-hmm. really happening. Rather than, you know, break a, line, break a linebacker's tackling in a one-on-one situation, it's kind of just throw the ball away. And that play that Darius Walker, Darius Leonard made was a good example of that. Uh, that one, actually, they didn't count as a sack. They say get the ball away, but it looked like one for sure. And then the actually the sack that Anthony Walker actually made was another example of that. Even I, like, look in the numbers, I was surprised that the Colts had seven sacks. I feel like all I remember was, like, three of them. I really had no idea that they had the Smitty in this game.
0: Yeah, and uh, Autry. Man, that dude played a heck of a game. Autry yeah. played a, had a great game. Um, um, Jihad Ward had mo He only had a couple of moments, but he had, a, you know, Marcus Hunt had a sack. He was number one since that. He drafted him, the Beast, and he did a thing or two. So the Colts had some guys stand up.
1: I couldn't get over the game Autry had. Because this, I think, it was his, like, first or second game. here, And he just kind of, like, a cast off from the Oakland Raiders. And, like, he was awesome out there. And it helps, you know, when you're playing Kendall Lamb and um, Martinez Franken. But, uh, like, he, did re- he had a good game. And I was really surprised watching him play.
0: Yeah, he's uh, yeah, he so, was uh, undrafted. He's a UDFA with two sacks against us. That's
1: awesome. Yeah, and the Colts defense has a ton of UDFA's and late, mid round and late round picks, and they don't have like any big free agent signings. Their highest pick player is Malik Hooker, and he was kind of non-existent. In this one, uh, you know, Gary yeah. Leonard was a pick, but yeah, like I've been really impressed by their defense so far, start this year too. Marden, um, I think, has four sacks right now. There's only, like, one behind J.J. Watt for the league the league, league, which is insane. Uh, Kenny Moore has been a very good slot corner. He's undrafted. Uh, you know, their front seven is just, like, full of just, like, guys who can, you know, kind of play and are, you know, decent enough athletes and, you know, walk super fast, too. I think Chris Ballard's done a great job putting that defense together even without having those resources. And I think he has a really good, like, foundation set for next year and actually they – and some of their money, too. And I also, I love Jabal Sheard as well. I think he's the most under, underrated yeah. dresser in football.
0: He's a great – he's a really fun guy to watch play. He's one of those guys I've always enjoyed a lot.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I really like his – and, uh, yeah, he breaks out. He just has, like, big games on nowhere as well, too. New. So, I think he – and also, it's kind of funny the Patriots didn't resign him, and they have, you know, one of the worst passes in football the past two years. And the Colts aren't, aren't paying really anything at all. Um, the other thing that was about, about this game as well, too, BFD, is that defensively, the same thing kind of happened with the offense as well, where you know, in the first half, they using Geneva Clowney as a stand blitzer. You know, he was timing the snap really well, bombarding through the line scrimmage. Uh, they used him a lot of TE stunts as well, too, so he was creating interior pressure as well. Wall just pretty much matched up one-on-one against Denzel Good the entire game. I know they used Sweet Merciless on his interior blitzes as well, Uh, But then the second half, it just seems like they went into, you know, like eight defensive back sets. They were only rushing three. They were, you know, playing dime a lot of the time. They weren't doing anything interesting to try to create pressure. Luck had plenty of time to throw in the second half, and the Colts were able to, you know, really take advantage of the Texans playing off-man coverage. Uh, In this game, you saw a lot of use slants and crossing routes, aside from those deep throws to T.Y. Hilton, or Luck just had plenty of time to throw. Nobody was within, you know, five yards of the receiver because they were playing so far off. They were passing guys in man coverage. And he just kind of picked, it, picked and popped his way down the field, especially when there wasn't any pass rush at all. Uh, so can you give an explanation, kind of like the same thing, this is question is Brian, uh, but can you give an explanation why, you know, Cornell was just a safe approach, Was it just because he was just trying to hold on and let Houston kind of run the ball win the game, uh, or did he think that was the best way to actually stop Andrew Luck? Uh,
0: Here's kind of my response to that because I I've, this I've thought about more than anything else since I finished watching the game, and this game defensively bothered the crap out of me. Really, truly, ate at my soul. And this I want and this is why. Here Here's some reasons why. DJ Reader had 41 snaps, 46% of snaps. I can understand that. Angelo Blackson had 37 snaps, 41%. Joel Heath 19 snaps. 21%. Brandon Dunn, 18 snaps, 20%. The reason I'm pointing this out is these were the guys. Those three guys saw a lot of snaps in the third quarter especially and the early in the fourth quarter. This is who the Texans were writing to get to the quarterback in the third and fourth quarter. I don't know what the heck you're thinking. If, you're, if you think any four of those guys they just named, DJ Reeder again, I can get, I can understand that one, but Blackson, Dunn, Heath, you're really giving these guys snaps? And the other two things that stuck out at me is look how they're dropping in coverage when those guys are getting trying to get to the quarterback. You're seeing 59, Whitney Merciless, and 53, uh, Duke 4 dropping in a freaking coverage? So you're rushing three guys who you damn well know can't get to the quarterback on a consistent base, and you're dropping back two guys who can get to the quarterback? From the defensive aspect, just the personnel sets alone were infuriating. And I absolutely cannot believe what I was seeing at times when our sub packages were lining up three guys who should not be on the field, Matt.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. and That's a very important point because we have been planning for you know, more at, you know, for out there, he's been playing more, but whenever you're not using him as a pass rusher, you're pretty much negating, you know, the only reason why he exists at all in the football field. Um, and I think it was definitely, I don't know whose decision it came from. You know, we don't, we don't live inside the huddle or whatever, but it was definitely a conservative game plan. It was just like the kind of the Texans' offense as well, too, where they kind of stopped the downfield passing. They went more ball control. They were trying to eat either like clock. It was the same thing with this defense where it turned into, you know, big bend, don't break. And they gave, like, plenty of time, plenty of open cushions to, to make throws against Houston's defense. Uh, the thing that, like, really hurt me was, you know, not necessarily the off-man coverage because they're kind of way where they have to without the secondary that they play. But, like, what you're saying is just, the fact that the personnel that they had out there dropping back and the fact that they were going after the passer and you're left through the ball 61 times in this game, that's a career high for them. Imagine if you're Law and clowny and you're out there every single play trying to rush the passer. You're not going to be able to rush the passer successfully 61 times in the game. Nobody has that in Malastanima, especially so in the more the beginning part of the year as guys are still kind of working their way in the shape they need. And so when you're not getting any interior pressure, you're not getting any blitz on the inside, uh, when you're also having, like, you know, long leads where you're constantly fighting, it just carries you out even more. And so luck is all the time in the world to throw. And it kind of goes back to the same fact, you know, mentioned all the way back in the preseason where, you know, I said I think the defense will be good as long as the pass rush is good. Uh, I thought that was based entirely off of health. But in this year so far it's been based entirely off of skill. I think I had something good except for Watt. And clean this game too. And so you have to do everything you can to try to generate pressure. Without that pressure, the secondary isn't good at all. It's a really bad secondary. And so the only way you can give the secondary even a chance to cover anybody is by generating that pressure. And once the pressure went, the defense went as well. And the Colts just, you know, bombarded Houston with points, to be able to come back in a the game. And they had no business coming back in. And he goes directly back to, you know, Brian is the head coach. He's just too conservative, trying to do the bare minimum to win, and just kind of trying to hold on. That they should have at minimum tied you know it's a coin flip that they should have won or lost, and luckily they got through with the with the win in this game
0: yeah and it, it's personal and we we can talk all about the scheme and everything, but the simple fact is we're not putting our best guys out there, especially in sub packages and mm-hmm. I, you know I go back to I can get Dj reader being out there, but you can still throw guys out there to give guys blows phrasing. you can still throw Brennan scarlet out there he's still a better choice you can still put EGO4 out there, Colin can. there are guys you can put out there who are just going to be better at getting to the quarterback than freaking Joel Heath and Brandon Dunn and Blackson. There are a lot better guys out there to get to the quarterback. And look, let's start treating clowning and merciless like pass rushers and not drop them back into coverage freaking ever again. Can we just please do that? Because merciless doesn't know what he's doing in coverage. So let's just stop it. Let's just look. We're gonna send five guys. We will tell you which five guys. You try to stop them, but we're gonna stop doing stupid things on uh, by dropping linebackers who can't cover in the coverage. So this was the this is the part of the game that I started at the end of the game. I started getting really riled up about, it, especially in the third quarter. Look, J.J. Watt. Yes, he's going to need some time on the bench. clowning needs some time on the bench. I get it, but you don't throw out a bunch of scrubs who can't do the job in their speed and you. Uh, don't drop the wrong guys in the coverage. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Okay. And rant.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was it was really weird. And I because mean, they were so good to start off this game. Watt had a really great sack uh on Andrew Lucker on his goal line with the long arm that he you know kinda pretty much extends his outside shoulder, swims back over to the inside and just kinda makes it a win of luck like that. He had another he had another strip sack like he had Eli Man rips to his right hand. Six is left hand there knocks the ball away. This time, for recovered. Houston scored again him the in possession. Houston was also granted granted probably the dumbest I've, I've ever seen with the Ryan Kelly miss-snap that Clowney was able to hungry hip bell and recover. And then they were also given <laughs> that fourth down play as well. So, Brian was really given, like, you know, uh, 17 points in this one. And, you know, sometimes it happens like that. But you know, I think Houston was – there's one of those games where – these one-possession wins kind of balance themselves out. You would think that they should have beat Tennessee in that one, and then this was one where they probably should have lost that they end up getting. So those things kind of balance themselves out in a way. Uh, we had a question here from the hateful Nate. He said, "Why is JJ? Why is j still on this team? Is Colvin really this bad? Why is Matthew lost? Why do we keep thinking Cornell is a good defensive coordinator?" So it's loaded here. Uh, so what do you think, BFD? Why is Jonathan Joseph on the team? Is Colvin this bad? Why is Matthew lost? And why do we keep thinking Cornell is a good defensive coordinator?
0: Well, Jonathan Joseph is still on the team because I, I don't know who else we can actually put in that's going to be any better at this point. I, I know that Cherise Wright has gotten a lot of kudos for his play on the, in the game on Sunday, but uh, I'm not seeing it. I, I think, you know, this guy is a replacement-level kind of guy, and the Colts were throwing out wide receivers at him that, our, our borderline, you know, the replacement guys, you know, so it was Sharice Wright, the replacement against the replacement. So no kudos for him. You're not Jonathan Joseph can, can still do some things out there, but no, he should not be starting. Is Colvin really this bad? He has not been good, has he? I mean, you know, if, if our trade was A.J. Bouye for Aaron Colvin, then we've really gotten the shaft on that one. Uh, why is Matthew lost? Matthew played a pretty good game, in my opinion. He played a pretty good first game. He did not look good on Sunday. He looked once again what I saw last year, which was the slowest safety in the league. Um, he to me he has not at all looked good. He's making a lot of tackles, yes. But he's also getting pretty scorched in coverage. Mm-hmm. And why do we why do we keep thinking Romeo Cornell is a good D C? This allows me to kind of rant send my rant to the next phase is is Matt, do you remember those Halcyon days when we'd, we'd see Bernardrick McKinney on those A-gap blitzes and destroying quarterbacks? Do you remember those days?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't call it Halcyon, but it was good defense and then name redacted. It was kind of like wasteless, miserable, but at least the defense was really good. And you right. know, whenever the offense was on the field. And the games were kind of fun, whenever you're like super hung up also. <laughs>
0: And I just, we just don't see this anymore. I, I, you know, I, I saw one blitz with McKinney. That's it, one. But we're sending – okay, let's just, let's just put this on the table here. We, there are two guys, and I can maybe buy the third, who should be blitzing that aren't your standard guys to get to the quarterback. Benarjic McKinney, Kareem Jackson, maybe Tyron Matthew, maybe. Nobody else should ever be blitzing on the Texans because they suck at it, okay? They flat suck. And we just don't take advantage of McKinney's skill to overpower a center and get to the cornerback. We just don't take advantage of that. One blitz off the edge, is not, it's not enough for a guy like him, Big Matt. So, anyway, mm-hmm. your turn.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think with the secondary, I don't really know what their options can had other than play guys kind of far off. Uh, and, you know, they struggle enough even doing that. You want to make sure that guys are staying from you. And then, and I think especially Jonathan Joseph, Joseph's issue is, isn't that he can't come up and tackle and isn't that he can't come up and make play. It's just that he can't cover anybody deep. T.Y. Hilton flat out abused him in the name And Hilton was going to have like a 200-yard game, even though Andrew Luck can barely throw a ball, you know, third yards and then he oomphed it uh, just because he can't he can't see in front of guys one well, man coverage unless he has an enormous cushion and even then it doesn't work out too well. So I really I really don't see a whole lot of what he can do other than playing a bunch of zone. But then when you have so many injured so many new guys in, it's hard for the zone coverage to be super cohesive and work really well as far as guys passing to each other. But the the blitz stuff doesn't make any sense. The blitz is very dumb. I think Crinnell is good, but I think he's kinda done of the same O'Brien thing where he's a model and just isn't doing what's worked. And that's why, you know, Blitzy McKinney Clowney up the middle, putting one in this 1-1 matchups. Now he's healthy, which he started to do. Also, the he used Clowney was really great last week. Now he just seems to use Merciless McKinney with some of nice these uh, Matthew, I just don't... My thing is, like, Matthew was constantly, you know, to the officials, constantly holding guys, and they can be or called, uh, constantly wanting pass interference, Whenever you just got beat by, nine if didn't play the ball well in the air. Uh, and they constantly like you know, words with the guy yeah, you're covering across your from you, even though you just gave up like a twelve yard pass. You know, I wouldn't really have a problem with this play. His play's okay. You know, he's a one flyer guy and it hasn't worked so far. He's been worth the money in that sort of thing. But it's just like his attitude just like watching him is just so infuriating because he's not good at tact the way he does in the field. And it's in the same way I felt about Kevin Johnson either before. Uh, too and you know, like Brandon Harris, even like you know, seven five years ago, however long that was, how long ago that was also. So, I really like watching Matthew play. I just don't think he's very good. I think, like what you're saying, he's just too slow. He can't cover Eric Ebron, he can't cover running back. Hopefully, really no one begins slot receivers. He just kind of stands back there. If the quarterback makes a mistake, he, he caps on it. But other than that, he doesn't do a whole lot of anything.
0: Yeah, I'd love to know how many uh, holding calls he's got this year.
1: I know he had one on Ebron in this game. I know he had, I believe he had another one against Giants, but I couldn't say any more than that.
0: Yeah, it's just he's just he, yeah, he's so testable at this point.
1: Yeah, uh, and the I guess the last question we have regarding the defense too is from text Army three four nine five. And he said, "I would like to add Quentin Nelson. I know the guy will be a pro for years to come. But what do you call what Clowney did to him on the Snow Angel sack? That was absolutely cruel, and it warmed my heart. And the Snow Angel sack is whatever lined up as the you know five technique as defensive end. Merciless was you know the three is the defensive tackle. Merciless stands to the right. Clowney's over." And he just pretty much throws his shoulder into Quentin Nelson like a hockey player, you know, trying, trying to prevent icing call in like 1995. And then, you know, throws Nelson out of the club. And then he's able to play and then go get Luck at the time and uh, and bring him down. And then it was at the end of the fourth quarter as well, too. Uh, I can't remember the ramifications for the play at the time. But it was super awesome. And just like, what Clowney out dominate people athletically is always just so much fun to see because he's such a great athlete, but Clowney's just even a little bit better than all the greatest athletes. He's just uh, he's just one of those you know freaky freaks out there.
0: Yeah, um, I was trying to see I, I can't remember it, but who it was, but it was uh, Mark Sanchez's uh, professional debut, and Crystal Myers playing center and, and their nose tackle for the Jets at the time. I just can't remember it. and I really should. But uh, he threw Chris Myers just away, and so we started calling Chris Miles ragdoll after that. So, so there's already a term for it. And Quentin Nelson got ragdolled by uh, Jadeveon Clowney.
1: And that's future Hall of Famer Quentin Nelson. To you.
0: Say that again. I missed that one. I
1: said that, that's that's your Hall of Famer Quentin Nelson to you as well, BFT. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, he's all, not bad. that's all
1: I heard. That's all I heard all spring, all summer. He's going okay to be okra start the year. I know it's one of the four games, but I heard immediately he was going to be all pro talent from every single draft person. My favorite, I think, was like one of the Schwartz bros on Twitter. It was like some summer trench stuff, and he like slides over and stays in front of his guy. He's like, oh, he's going to be an all time great. Look at this thing that. Uh, every guard who can pass block admirably knows how to do. <laughs> but, yeah, he's just been – he's been worked a few times this year, and that's been kind of surprising to see. And somebody doesn't watch any college football at all. <laughs>
0: yeah, and it – yeah, that play was so awesome. It was just oh, – yeah, that was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, because I'm a little bit disappointed, though, so I was hoping to see, like, this all-time be a great guard. And uh, he's been he's been okay. He hasn't been – uh, like watch like Doug Marty or anything like that just yet. So the Well the one thing I he's was, really
0: he Yeah. One thing he's really good at just cutting in here is that he's really good at being the first guy over to help the running back up. I I did that's notice important. that about him on Sunday. Yeah. He's a real team team guy doing that.
1: That's important. Uh that's what you do whenever like you don't get a lot of chances to play. You gotta make sure to do things like that. But yeah, I'm glad right. he's doing that. That's good to hear. i you know warms my heart a little bit. Uh, so, going back to, to Kiki QT, we had a question from um, uh, Dr. Dr. Watson. Dr. Watson. For a little positive, can so you all know, break down a little bit? Of big, sexy Kiki QT's break game. It's a pretty exciting thing where we might have a dynamic play wa- playmaker for Watson. i also like to know what you think of O'Brien will do to mitigate QT's abilities. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, <laughs> that's very funny. So, I, I think that what's really great about QD is, like, one, he's, like, a good athlete, you know, like, he can run by guys, I think one of my, the route that really stuck out to me was he ran one of those, uh, you know, out routes, but then he cuts back in, back center of the field, I can't remember what you call that route off the top of my head, it's one of those inside out routes, and on the out, like, he completely loses the cornerback, and he trades you know, like, four yards by the time the is thrown, and that's really what, like, I, I love watching about him playing this game, is that he can actually beat man coverage. And so Houston hasn't had that guy because they were using Ellington and Ellington's whatever. They've been using Ryan Griffin, in the field since, you know, horribly bad. And they're finally actually putting the Jordan rookies a now. Because I guess O'Brien, you know, reads and listens about Redblog and kind of figure out that's a good idea that Griffin should on the field, but these two guys are actually athletes and Blog should be on it. And so – also having I mean, cutie out there is if you double and you know hopkins and then you kind of know that you rolled over from fuller the entire middle of the field is wide open and so now you're the team's you know third best corner fourth best corner and he can win that man coverage and so that entire aspect of him just makes him super exciting i don't think it's even the whole like you know part of it's athletically I think he's also just a great there, and it's such an incredible, like, opportunity to have as a player as well, too. So I'm super excited watching the rest of the year. I know Fuller has that hamstring injury he's dealing with, so hopefully, you know, at least as long as Fuller and Hopkins are out there, he's going to be, you know, awesome. And in this game, he had 11 catches on 15 targets for 109 yards. As most is only 19 yards. I uh, think the only way O'Brien could ruin his ability is if whenever Fuller gets hurt, he puts him at the wide receiver two position and leaves him back from the sideline. And I don't think he has the body at all to be, you know, boxing out on that part of the field. Uh, I don't think he has a straight line speed, just kind of win one by probably, you know, straight down the field, uh, like Fuller does as well too. So I think if they kind of keep him in the center part of the field, I don't think there's a whole lot that O'Brien can do to come through uh, you know, his playmaking play ability.
0: Yeah, and, and just because I had to answer this question, the player that I was thinking of was Chris Jenkins. So I yeah, had to, I had he to the answer that one.
1: Yeah, for forever, and then he went to the Jets.
0: Yeah. Um, so getting back to Kiki Cutie Ke- Ke- Pie, um, <laughs> and yes, I'm actually going to call him that, and I just really don't even care what you think about me or my sexuality, um, is that what, what can – So what does he bring? And I think Matt described it really well. And and let me back up a moment because the question is is that we might have a dynamic playmaker for Watson to utilize. And I guess I would just kind of look at Will Fuller and and, uh, DeAndre Hopkins and go, we don't already? And so I I think that he's adding another tool to the toolbox, but I don't think he's the only dynamic playmaker we have. They just have different kind of skill sets to do that sort of thing. So what do I think that Cutie's going, or how can you ruin Cutie? And I think the way that you ruin him is by Bill O'Brien playing the Bill O'Brien offense, which means not taking advantage of getting Watson out of the pocket. Can you imagine a, you know, with with that route, and it's called the inside out route if I remember correctly, where Mm -hmm. uh, the right receiver starts going inside and and then goes out to back out. And uh, he burned the Colts, I think it was a, we were deep down deep in our own area and he, we got like a 15 yard play out of that. He totally torched the cornerback on the play and you just use that kind of that quick burst that he's got in order to get rid of quarter cornerbacks, right? You stop utilizing this kinds of plays or you stop, but we're going to do that. That's Bill O'Brien's my point being, because I'm making it really poorly is that also imagine getting Watson out of the pocket and hitting uh cutie on across the field on the slant kind of thing on a, on a long developing play. Those are the types of things that could really pick up a lot of yards. You do a high-low combination on something like that with QD on the high, and you put a guy like, the heck, why not just run four low and QD high and see what happens? You've got so much speed there, you've got to yeah. consider. So we have to take advantage of those sorts of situations to get or to allow our quarterback time to make plays down the field. Again, one way you do that is by getting them out of the pocket, Matt.
1: Yeah. You know, the one thing I really want to see is like a route combination where you have, you know, QD, low, like Fuller, or, or like Fuller deep, and Hopkins intermediate, and run kind of like or, uh route combinations where you have a trip formation, you have a receiver at every single level of the field. Uh, that'd be a, that'd be really fun to see too for this offense. But who knows if we're gonna see it? Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm super excited for him. I think the other play that I really loved too with them was the option where uh, Watson threw the ball overhand to him because he hadn't crossed the line of scrimmage yet. That was an awesome play. And, like, he was one broken tackle away from, like, a 15-yard run. And so that athleticism as well is, like, is super necessary. Houston's been missing that in, you know, the short game, in the middle of the field. And also, you're running these jet sweeps, like, they're meaningful whenever he's running them compared to, I mean, I mean, there's still, like, it's meaningful that can going get, but it's, like, I mean, the same thing as whenever he's doing uh, but it's, like, better than, like, running the option of Alpha Blue and Mark Miller in this case. too. Uh, I'm really excited. Hopefully he stays healthy. Hopefully the hamstring is an issue. Because the Texans, are Will Fuller, he had four catches on five targets. Uh, he had in this game. And those four catches went for 49 yards. But he had four hamstring injury, And O'Brien did say that this wasn't a preventative, you know, thing at all, that they didn't pull him because they were afraid he was going to get hurt. He was hurt, and he wasn't going to play and they don't know if he's going to be available for Sunday yet. So do you think this is going to be kind of full year? I know we had two questions for him whenever he was drafted. One, could he stay healthy? Could he catch the football? Uh, he's learned how to catch the football, state he hasn't been able to stay healthy all. So do you think he's just going to be a dynamic downfield receiver that sets up short, easy catches, but just can never send the field long enough to be an integral option for, the, for an offense over an entire season?
0: It just looks more and more and kind of in different ways that he's going to run the Ted Ted Ginn um, career, right? Because he just isn't very productive because he just can't get on the field. Ginn wasn't productive because he couldn't run routes and couldn't hold on to the ball. But I could eventually see him getting healthy enough to do a lot of damage later in his career. But right now it's just frustrating because he is so freaking good when he's on the field. And we used to say the same thing about Brian Cushing back in the day. Yeah, he's great when he's not out for the season. Yeah, he's a cog when he's not out for the season. And it feels like we're having that same kind of com- conversation again.
1: I and I, I wonder kind of also, like, as guys play in the NFL longer, maybe their body gets thrown way up their receiver, or like they understand they stretch better, they're used to running faster for the long time. I mean, I, I have no idea, but, you know, like, Ken, I think is a good example, but he got he kind of helps his career and on. And so I wonder if maybe for a different training staff, then his body better be able to stay healthy longer. I don't know, but um, it is frustrating because he's having a breakout season right now. He's been spectacular when he's healthy. He's been really good even like going back to rookie year in that Tennessee game where he kind of won that game for him. But he just hasn't been out there enough to be you know, something that you can really count on as well.
0: Yeah. It doesn't matter uh, but, how good a football player is if you don't have the skill of being healthy.
1: yeah. Yeah, at least everybody else is healthy you know, so far. I know Colton Johnson's hurt, but Houston hasn't had like a, a really like traumatic and powerful injury yet. Uh, Fuller's kind of nagging, so hopefully things stay uh, as good as they are and uh, how they've been. My last thing I about this game is Bill O'Brien. I know we talked about his offense, how he finally did things well. He did these smart things that he should have done three weeks ago, and the offense shouldn't look like this three weeks ago. But he was also like really dumb this game, too. Uh, and I I think there was you know four examples of it. One of them was that timeout that he burned right before the Colts threw that play, and the Colts and Texans come out of the title leaving Eric Ebron all by himself on the far sideline. The Colts scored on that. He uh, called the timeout around the two minute warning, is what, around during the Colts fourth down co- uh, two point conversion. That was the second timeout. Ball. Then we get the ball at the end of the fourth quarter. Their first play is a draw down. The draw alpha blue, goes for four yards. They lose about 20 seconds of the clock. Then they hit DeAndre Hopkins down the field. They're able to spike it. There's four seconds left. Tommy Fairbairn, you know, misses a 59-yard field goal, which is, you know, like a, a near impossible field goal to make. Guys make it nowadays, but it rarely happens. But in the span that set up that 59-yard field goal, they ran, you know, 20 25 seconds off the clock with a meaningless draw play, which if you're going to, like, Clock just kneel it in, in the play there, uh, which they didn't do. And he also wasted two timeouts in that situation, too. So that, and then also with the Ebron touch, where the team is completely unprepared, those are just, you know, four examples of just the same kind of stupid things that he keeps doing. You know, we talked about it last week against the Giants, some similar things happening in and similar things happened. He also ran that screen play as well in the territory in, in overtime, which kind of helped set up that field goal instead of the, the potential have two. So I think it was just kind of more of the same. Uh, and I think we should just like a diary of this so we can keep bringing these up and bringing these up because this even goes back to 2014, that Dallas game and uh, that same, you know, turtle keeps poking its head out constantly through at, in every just about every game that he coaches that are close games.
0: The, the uh, you, you touched on the one, because we, can, we, we know that he's going to be terrible at handling the game management, terrible at the handling timeouts and, and those sorts of things. But Bill O'Brien should never be allowed to play to call a screen pass ever again. Like, like, he can call it into the huddle, and Deshaun watching should just say, no, we ain't doing that, and, and uh, audible to something else. This team does not design screenplays well, and we sure as hell don't execute them well. We should never do another screen. I just, it's, everybody made fun of QBX third and long draws. They were more effective than our screen game today.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. On that screen pass too, like this one, for example, he has, you know, Fuller and other, I don't, it wasn't Fuller, but he has Hopkins out wide left and he's another receiver out there. There's three cornerbacks in the area. So the whole idea is like quick screen passes that you get man-man coverage. You're going to block one guy. The other guy's going to run either inside or outside. And then that's three yards there. And then if you can make a miss, you only have a safety there. And that's following that screen pass. And so whenever the numbers advantage isn't there, and you have two versus two no points to run that play at all. And from the very beginning, the play was doomed. Uh, it, was, it was very stupid. But, I, like, I still can't get over the alpha blue draw. Like, if you're not going to go for it, just kneel it. And then you can't really change your mind at that point and then go for it. It almost worked, I guess, in a way. If Fairbear makes that field goal, but you went through a situation where you are going up against a defense that's missing its top two cornerbacks, you move the ball well all game. You have an opportunity to win the game in regular time; do not even need to go for to deal with a kickoff, uh, no coin toss at all, and you completely blow it. And so that whole thing was really stupid as well. It ended up working out because Frank Reich, you know, made his made a decision that he made, but you know, that Houston was very lucky that they're not 0-4 right now. So, BFC, are yeah, you back talk- on... Okay.
0: <laughs> See, I cannot I cannot freaking believe you would even put this question on the script. <laughs> I saw that, and he's like, he's, oh, Matt's so trolling me. Uh, let, let's talk about one, one quick little thing, because like, I'm going to go back to the personnel again, as I transition into this, into this question where Matt is clearly trolling me. So, so... Marlon Mack was not available for, uh, the Colts this game. And so they just brought in a guy who, uh, Naheem Hines this year. Yeah. Fourth round pick this year. He's a small little dude and that dude can so ball. Oh my gosh. He was a ton of fun to watch on Sunday or today from, from, in my case, but man, that touchdown catch he had against, uh, uh, Matthew, oh my gosh, that kid can ball. We, on the other hand, because of our personnel issues, when Lamar Miller goes down with an injury, we whip out Alfred Blue. I, are you seriously telling me you can't go out and get a better talent than Alfred Blue to back to be our, our, our running back number two? And what the hell is Tyler Irvin doing on the team? We're not going to put him out there instead of Alfred freaking Blue. So once again, it's just that, that high level of frustrations. Why do we, why is our personnel what it is when we see other teams, even the Colts can go out and throw a fourth round pick. It could do a lot of damage against us. And we throw out Alfred plotting blue. So <laughs> it don't stop it. Huggy, Huggy texts me that Alfred blue is also good. Stop it. It hurts. <laughs> so, Am I back on the Bill O'Brien bandwagon? We still see the same issues. I mean, he went super conservative in the second half. The the game management is still piss poor. This this is a team that's 2-12 and 12 over its last 14 games. I mean, I, I still see, you know, you can talk about the personnel. Yes, it's a big deal. Uh, sacrifice for team has an excellent point. A lot of this is because of Rick Smith, and I get that. But a good coach raises his team, elevates his team, that's a better word, elevates his team to, to be better. And Bill O'Brien simply doesn't do that. He does not put his players in the best situation to succeed. He does not take advantage of our players' strengths very well at all. And the fact is that we're still running guys like Alfred Blue out there as some sort of solution to a problem that we really have. Lamar Miller needs a true backup. It, it's it's infuriating to me, so absolutely not. I you know, my my biggest fear at this point is that we're going to go eight and eight or nine and seven back our way into the playoffs, and we don't make a change again this off season because this is going to be the off season that Bill O'Brien really gets it. Yeah. And I I just don't I don't see that happening. And we're going to watch Matt Lafleur. He's going to go to a team and succeed. And let me put this in context. I'm ranting a lot tonight as usual, because I think it's my thing now. Look what Matt Nagy is doing for Mitch Trubisky in Chicago. That's what a good offensive coordinator does for your team. He puts Trubisky in positions to succeed by using his athleticism and his arm to wallop teams right now. The Chicago Bears were trash last year. They signed Khalil Mack. They get in a new coach. And these are true Super Bowl contenders at this point. That's what a new head coach can do for you that is able to adapt his scheme for the players at hand, Matt.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that sums it up really well, um, and then you're not even talking about, that's just about scheme too, and even you even have to go back to all the poor game management decisions, all the poor, you know, strategy decisions he makes, and it's just kind of, you know, incomparable how, how bad he is at, at that part of the game, and it's been bad since he was hired in 2014, I remember doing the same podcast with you, you know, four years ago, and at this game I was like. Do you think this is something that we're possibly going to see throughout his career? And we're like, well, it's still too early. Who knows? Who knows? And uh, and I, I, it's the question's been answered, it's been answered for a while now, and that part's been frustrating as well too. Um, so that's all to really say about this game. Do you have anything else you want to add from this, you know, very stupid football game? This four long <laughs> stupid football game.
0: This is a long stupid football game. I, I. The only thing I want to say is that even though the Texans dropped uh, 37 points on Sunday, the, the the context of this is is that the defense covered or recovered a uh, fumble for a touchdown or the stupid Is that even a fumble? I mean, I go, I get it. It's a, it's a fumble as a stab, but man, that snap was so bad. My son was just like, what happened? And I, I was just like, oh, I was like, I think it was just a really, really terrible snap. And so we rewind it and, like, yeah, that's just a really terrible snap. How does that happen? How does Ryan Kelly actually do that? Anyway. And then Watt with the sack, and we get the ball on the seven or eight-yard line after uh, EG04 recovers it. The defense did their job. They basically handed the team 14 of those 37 points. Six of those yeah. points came in overtime. So, so for 20 of those points or defense and overtime, which means the offense scored 17 points during the game itself. Context is important. Once again, Houston Texans with Deshaun Watson and Kiki Cutie Pie and Andre Hawkins <laughs> and Will Fuller, the fifth, and of course, Huggy Ryan Griffin could only put up 17 points. That's pretty pathetic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of that goes back to as well was whenever that interception happened, they completely revert back to that the same Born Old offense or it's run, run, hop, uh, in, in the pocket, and shotgun formation trying to pass it. And uh, it's, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk about it anymore. It's just so dumb. I
0: forgot one thing. And the Colts were without the top two cornerbacks.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's very important as well. Uh, the thing that I'll bring up too before we talk about the Dallas game briefly was that Favreau, he threw to Hopkins in the red zone. Entering this game, Houston was 31st in red zone D.O.A. Watson had only completed 31% of his passes in the red zone. They were like 31st in DVOA in goal-to-goal situations. And it took them 3 weeks to throw a fade route to DeAndre Hopkins in the corner of the end zone. When you have like the best fade route receiver in football in that situation and it took them 3 weeks for that to have happened. And so I think it's another just like all these small little things, you know, it doesn't have to be this hard. And uh, O'Brien constantly makes it hard. He constantly makes his team worse because of the, the decision that he makes. Are you, are you still with me here? Put myself on mute while I belch. Okay.
0: That's
1: <laughs> all good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> I, I really hated that though. I love it happen. I hate how yeah. long it took for it to happen. Yes. That that pretty much sums up how I felt this game the entire time I was watching it. I was liking that this stuff was happening, but I hated how long for it to actually happen. Uh, So are you stopping this week for the Texas, 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 Texas game?
0: Yeah, I mean it's Dallas. I grew up in Houston, and I I hate no team more than the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, let's face it. If if you want a child molester if you want a Coke dealer, if you want the teammate that's going to get drunk and kill his other teammate from driving, then the Dallas Cowboys really are your team.
1: <laughs> uh, so do you think this, this team, do you think Dak can score Houston for more than two hundred yards in this one?
0: <laughs> I think if there's a team, he can. And, and it was really funny listening to the announcers because they picked it up. All you have to do against the Texans is throw the ball outside the numbers and you're going to be very successful. And, you know, I get it that Dallas, you know, Prescott's really been exposed the last kind of year and a half as as being not a very good quarterback itself. He he did a little magic when he had the great offensive line, and he had Des Bryant, who wasn't yet a corpse. But now he's not so good. He doesn't have the weapons, and he wasn't really a great just kind of passing quarterback anyway. But you throw outside the numbers, and Prescott's got the arm to do it, and you can do a lot of damage against the, the Texas quarterbacks, Big Matt.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think, like, He's just trying to – I think the problem with Dallas right now is their offensive line isn't, like, it's the best offensive line in football. It's, like, a, a top-10 offensive line. It's good, but it's not you know entirely dominant. So Prescott has to do more of it, throw a little short passes, let them pay up the yards for the catch, and then hit, you know, right in the sideline often enough. But I think one of the things that they're doing is they're actually pushing the ball down the field. Entering the Lions game, Prescott only attempted, uh, I believe, Seven passes for fifteen yards or more down the field. And he only completed two of them, one to catch to Tavon Austin. And so I think in this game they're actually attempting you know, some more downfield passes. Uh, he hit Michael Gallup down the sideline. They ran that cool play where they played as a wide receiver, and he was one one versus the linebacker. He hit him for 40 yards, and a field goal. So I think Dallas is doing a better job like picking the shots to go downfield is keeping everything within a fifteen yard box. Um, so I think part of his you know press. Himself. his, you know, kind of tendency to want to throw short and hold on to the ball. But I think Dallas has to do a better job of creating, you know, downfield throwing opportunities for him. And they're actually starting to do that now as well, too. So I feel, I still think Prescott's fine. I think he would be you know, better on a team with a better defense. Uh, but, like, he's not the year all, hall of famer that he was projected to be after his uh, first year being a pro. So, but, yeah, I do think he can throw more than 20 yards against Houston, though. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. And sorry, I was trying to agree with
0: you and stepped over you. Go ahead.
1: Now we're all, we're going again. So also for this, Elliot's been, I, there was that take whenever Elliot was having his year, you know, two years ago, his rookie year, that he was outplaying Dallas's offensive line. The reason why Dallas's offense was working was entirely offensive line because Elliot was, you know, making up for him. I never agree with that at all. I thought. Uh, predominantly, he was just making you know one cut, running forever. Uh, you know, making a guy miss here and there, but he wasn't. You know, the reason why things are working as well as totally the offensive line. But this year, I think the opposite has happened. I think Elliott is overcompensating for his offensive line. He's playing spectacular. He's making some awesome runs. The line's so good, they're still creating holes for him. But he's just been you know spectacular. He's been like a, you know, like a top five running back in football so far this year. Uh, the thing about Houston though is they have you know not the best run run defense the second best run defense right now, and do you think Dallas can be the first team actually be able to run the ball on the Texans?
0: I think that's the matchup to look for. I think that's the fascinating one is is if you look at you know our front three in our base package you look well it should be our front three. I'm sorry. If we theoretically had Clowney, Watt, and Reader as the three guys in the in the dirt in our base, I, I don't see where Elliott would at all be successful against us. You take out Clowney, you put him on the end, you stick in a Brandon Dunn or Heath or Blackson or whatever, and I think he has a better chance against us. But it's still it's going to be a fascinating matchup. That is the ultimate thing to see this weekend. I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's the, the entire point of this game. I think if Dallas can run the ball well, they'll beat Houston. But if they can't run the ball well, they won't. Uh, unless like Prescott has like a you know a great game where he throws for like 300 yards or something. But yeah, I think I think Dallas is going to struggle to run the ball. Um, but you know I mean it's always a time where Ellie can have some some crazy games this year. Uh, at the same time, so that's what that's been a lot of fun to watch because their offensive line right now is composed of Smith, who's looked better as he's played throughout the year. Uh, I can remember like the first week he looked dramatically better against the Lions last week. Then you have Connor Williams at left guard, who's the weakest line. I don't even remember who their center is now, uh, but and then you have Doug Martin right guard, and then the right tackle is Lyle Collins. And Collins like, I mean he makes blocks whenever he pulls that nobody should ever make, and he's a ton of fun to, watch to encounter too. So it's still a it's still a, oh Joe Looney is there. Center. Center. Yeah. Yeah, he's playing center for him, and he's been, you know, making some good down blocks too. So, yeah, their offensive line's still fine, it's still good. I just don't think it's, you know, the best offensive line in of the league anymore. It's like the the ninth best, you know.
0: Yeah, and you know, Travis Frederick uh, is battling cancer.
1: Yeah, it's that like Hodgkin's lymphoma sort of thing, or non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, yeah. or maybe it's the hodgkin's I don't know the difference between the two.
0: Yeah, so he's got a bigger battle than football going on right now.
1: Yeah, it's a battle because um, he was the best center in football.
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: Yeah. So on the when he says the ball, Dallas' is secondaries, you know, whatever. I think it's covered better than you kind of give him credit for. I think receivers made some great catches against him. Like the Lions made some just spectacular catches, even against good coverage. But it's true their defense is their, is their perfectly coached defensive line. They have great get-offs. Uh, they're constantly hitting, you know, the outside shoulder in the run game to be able to create advantages in that way. And they're good pass rushers as well, too. Marcus Lawrence is one of the best pass rushers in football. And I you know, I really like to too, is slide defensive back from the corner position. And when you're constantly sliding over or overload fronts and towards Lawrence, it creates, you know, Backside rushes that the quarterback doesn't see very well as well too. So, do you think this be a Game of Watsons gonna be scurrying around? A lot? And also, what offense are you expecting from Houston? Are you expecting the super cool postmodern play action jet sweep uh, option running offense? Or are you expecting the inside zone, you know, run run shotgun passing offense in this game?
0: I just haven't seen a reason to be optimistic about the offense that we're gonna see. I mean, I don't because. The, the second that one thing went bad, and the Pierre your interception being that thing, all of a sudden Bill O'Brien's like, "Oh, wait a minute, that that salt was a little bit knocked that off a bit." So I, I just can't see it. I just I would like to have more faith. I'd like to have more faith that Bill O'Brien can can actually follow through on what works. But the second one thing goes wrong, he goes into uber conservative mode. And it, it, we shut down. You cannot win without risk. You cannot succeed without risk. And I, I just don't I, – I don't see us doing anything that helps us win because O'Brien is not going to take the risk. He's too risk adverse.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it cracks me every time you say that. I always just imagine him getting, having two salt shakers, and one has pink salt, and one has sea salt, and one's just like, you know <laughs> – the salt with the with the woman we're drinking uh, that made me vomit once really badly when I was like three years old. And I always feel like she thinks there's always two salts or too, salt, so too exotic. This one's too pink. This from the ocean. You know, I can't handle that. And go for that, you know, regular table salt and it's iodine salt every time. So uh, what's your prediction for this one? Who he do you think's gonna win this game? <laughs> and see my
0: my visualization is the Simpsons episode when the Flanders family is, is making ice cream and that Maude Flanders just takes iced milk because vanilla is too strong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So in this game, so we play Sunday night, and of course the Texans have such a great reputation for playing well in prime time. (laughs) That was sarcasm. By the way, if you didn't get that, that was – okay, never mind. I don't hear any clapping. (laughs) So uh, the only – so – that's really the biggest reason I'm going to say this is I'm going to go with the Dallas Coke boys, the Dallas child molesting Coke boys of uh, with uh, 27 to the Texas 23. And and once again, I've, I have purposely picked that we're going to kick three field goals and to get that 27 to 23 score because golly, <laughs> it's so depressing every time we line up to kick a field goal. I just want to, I just want to kick something big Matt.
1: Yeah. Uh, I have Houston winning. I don't. I shouldn't be doing this, but i been winning 20 to 17 just because I have more faith in Houston's run defense than I do in Dallas's passing offense. And I I I hope the Texans come out running that super cool offense. And I think if they do, they should be able to score you know more than 20 points. But that 20 is like, I guess kind of like the guess that they're going to run the super cool offense for like the first half. And then they'll go up a little bit, and they'll get super scared and stop running it. And uh, and it's gonna end up being a close. I think it end up being a close game regardless for it. Uh, Um. Also, in this game, do you think? What what was was the last like good prime time game? Do you think Houston had? Because I really can't remember it all for the life of me. The last time they played well in prime time. Oh, holy crap! It
0: seems like last year they
1: didn't, and then 16. They didn't. 16 was whenever they lost back. They lost to Jacoby Brissett, and then against Denver when name uh, redacted threw for more yards. Threw a fumble for more yards per attempt than he actually threw for the entire game. And then I think I guess mean, they the Bengals game in 15. Then the Bengals so game. Yeah. yeah. And they when that's it. Since was eight and zero, and they took turned eight and one. The red BB gun game. was That one.
0: Oh, no, what I was thinking was the – wasn't the uh, Bengals game last year? Wasn't it that prime time when the Sean Watson had that 57-yard run?
1: Yeah, I guess that was Thursday night. I still feel like they didn't play – they had a defense play pretty well that game. I don't know. But the Bengals yeah. were good last year, though.
0: No, and the only – we can only beat three teams. We can beat the Bengals, we can beat the Glitter <laughs> Kitties, and we can beat the DSF, and that's the end of the list. Yeah. And now we can't beat two of those teams anymore.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. I forgot about the game. Man, the Bengals are bad last year. Um, yeah. Anyways, that's that's all we have for tonight. Going on tonight, BFD. Uh, it was a lot of fun to talk about this game. Thirty minutes later, uh, I'll be. I'll probably do another show on Thursday night with a friend of mine. This last week we'll preview uh, Week Five NFL. We'll talk about four games because I'm super excited to one talk a little bit more about Dallas, Houston. Once I watch some more Dallas video, and also Kansas City plays Jacksonville this weekend. And I'm so tired of all these points being scored. It's like I just – I'm so ecstatic to watch Patrick Mahomes against the Jaguars defense. I think it's the game of the year. Uh, are you excited for that game on Sunday? the Jacksonville- Oh, Kansas totally. Game?
0: Yeah, because the Kansas City Chiefs defense is as bad as their offense is good.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And so it's, it's just a lot of fun watching, oh, yeah, we're going to let Royce Freeman drag half the team into the end zone when he should have been tackled <laughs> for a five-yard loss kind of team. So it's – God, they're so bad. It's just it's amazing. And then on the other side, you got Mahomes and Hill and Kelsey putting on a show. So they're a fun team to watch just because they're so good and bad at the same time.
1: Yeah. sour. But yeah, I can't wait for this game on Sunday. I'm so tired of all these points being scored. I'm hoping that can be like my night to finally stop all this scoring because I'm sick of it. But um, anyways, that's our show for tonight. We'll be back on live again next uh 7 p.m. Central. My name is Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Bell Radio. And thank you for being on tonight, BFT. Woo! Woo! Oh, hey,
0: shout
1: out UT. Love you, UT. Yeah, we love you too, UT. Thinking of you.